Hey, everybody. Welcome to Back Porch Leadership, and I'm Ken McQuiston. Today, we have a bit of a special episode. I don't normally record during the week. I usually do it on the weekend after I've had a chance to think through topics. But I have to tell you, today's topic is one of those that just couldn't wait. Because today, we remember September 11th, 2001. And I know that everybody who's listening probably has their own story about that day, where they were, how it impacted them, and how it's played a role in your life since. And I think it's probably time that I got to share my story and use this vehicle to do it. Now, I got to admit, the year 2001 started off just absolutely incredibly. After many years of being in the U.S. Air Force, I had the opportunity to get stationed in Germany, the place that my wife and I always wanted to be able to take our kids. Also had the distinct privilege and honor of being selected to be a chief master sergeant in the Air Force uh, in the E-9, which in and of itself is a huge opportunity. But on top of that, as the year progressed, I was given the opportunity to become a chief master sergeant, uh, a command chief master sergeant, which is the senior enlisted member for a military installation or unit. And as we went through the year, the family enjoyed everything about being stationed in Europe. We were able to travel. We were able to see so many different countries, so many different places. And even as we got through the summer and to the middle of August, we had the opportunity of hosting my parents and my uh, aunt and uncle, none of whom had ever been overseas before. They were going to spend two great weeks with us, and we just had a blast. So they were with us through Labor Day weekend and into September. And another cool part about it was that the first day that I was going to serve as a command chief master sergeant, my parents were actually there to see me go to work that very first day wearing that uniform and the distinct stripes that came with it. Actually a pretty proud moment for me to be able to have my family and uh, there for that event. So I started the job on the 5th of September of 2001. Now the family was still there visiting and we still had another week with them. But we knew it was time to get to work and get some things done. So my wife would take my parents and, and aunt and uncle to some different places. And then on the 10th of September, 2001, they left. They got on an airplane in the middle of the day in Germany, and they were going to fly through the night, land back into Philadelphia uh, early in the morning the next day, and all would be good in the world. Little did we know on that day, and we put my parents on an airplane that 
less than 24 hours later, the entire world would change. You see the following day, September 11th, I went to work like I would go to work any other day, still excited about a brand new job and an opportunity to do things to hopefully make things on the installation better because everybody wants to help things to get better. And I happened to go through my morning still getting used to the new job. In the afternoon, I had a meeting with the superintendent of the Department of Defense school system uh, a little after two in the afternoon. And while I was in the meeting with this gentleman, we're talking about students and schools and curriculum and buildings and things like that. My cell phone started to ring. I turned it off once, then put it on mute, then put it on vibrate. And after the third time my phone rang, I figured I might as well answer it. So I excused myself from the meeting, took the call, and it was one of my coworkers in the new office telling me that I needed to get back to the building because the boss, the commander of the base, wanted to see me in the command post. Command post is kind of a place like a hub of activity where all operations from a from a base are run. And when I got there to the command post, it was absolute chaos. People running around all over the place, people coming in the door, a constant stream of people piling into the command post. And on a big 20 by 20 screen on the wall was a picture, a video, a live feed from CNN with smoke coming from the side of the North Tower of the World Trade Center. When I walked in the room, I, I had no idea what it was. I assumed that, you know, uh, maybe a commercial or a, a private plane had run into it or whatever. I just didn't know. Moments after that, I ran into the boss, the installation commander, where he said, hey, a plane has struck the North Tower of the World Trade Center. We're still trying to figure this thing out. And as we stood there together, looking at the screen, the second plane flew into the South Tower of the World Trade Center. And it was almost instant that what we thought may have been an accident turned into something that was going to rewrite history forever. Amidst the silence in the room after the second plane hit the building, we were truly in shock, not knowing what the heck was going on and where we needed to go from there. Commander and I stepped aside And he leaned over to me and said, uh, Chief, I know you're new into this role, but I think we're going to need to prepare this wing to go to war. He knew. He knew that that second plane was a definitive message that it wasn't an accident. And within a short time after that second plane hit the World Trade Center, we received word 
that a plane had struck the Pentagon. Now granted, the devastation of a plane hitting either one of the World Trade Center towers is, is devastating. But when we found out that it hit the Pentagon, there wasn't a one of us in that room that didn't know someone who worked there. And our thoughts immediately went to them. But after that short time of the initial shock of the event and what had happened, it was time to start acting on what we were going to do. The boss calmed the room. He got everybody in their seats. He got everybody paying attention and started the conversation with, okay, we need to secure the base. So we immediately went into a mode where we were basically locking down the installation. Everything from people doing their jobs, recalling people who had been off, closing down the gates, assuring that all the kids that were still in school, because the schools were actually located inside the base, that they were able to safely get them home to their families. Because a significant number of our military families actually lived downtown off of the installation. We also had to put security force procedures in place to ensure that everything was secured. And in a matter of minutes, the world had changed forever. Shortly after all of that, then those thoughts start going through your head of your family. Or was my wife and were my kids safe? I was able to find out within a couple of hours that they were. But then out of the blue, I realized that my parents were flying home along with my aunt and uncle. And we didn't know if they were safe. We didn't know where these planes had come from. We didn't know if they could have been on one of the planes involved. Fortunately for us, after several hours of trying, we were able to get in touch with my family members and realized that they did make it home safely. But had they been in the air one more hour, they probably would have been diverted to one of those other airports around the world where airplanes were ordered to land. It's pretty scary. For me, it was even more scary for the simple reason that here I was, a very young chief master sergeant and a brand new command chief, and now being thrust into this realm that was all new to me and wondering, was I up for it? It didn't take long before you just know that you have to start to and do what you need to do. We did a divide and conquer process where we went out among the installation, ensured things that were secured, were ensured that 
our aircraft were secured, our family members were secured, that installation was ready to be in a defensive posture if need be. Because again, we didn't know where another attack was going to come from. Phones were ringing off the hook. There were 30,000 different stories about planes showing up here, a bomb showing up here, this radical group here, this radical group there. And like with anything, 80% of the first story you hear is usually incorrect. It takes time to actually find out what had happened. After many, many hours that day of trying to figure things out, we finally got to a place where we felt the installation was secure. We also recognized very shortly thereafter that we needed to prepare the unit for an inevitable phone call that was going to say you were going to deploy somewhere. Because at our installation, we had a large number of F-16 fighters, and we had the only A-10 Thunderbolt fighters in all of Europe. And for those of you who know about the A-10 and its value, specifically to ground forces on the ground or any kind of uh, combat engagement, then it's a hot topic and a very important priority weapon. So literally within the first hour, the boss had given the direction to get every airplane that we had on the installation ready to go to the fight. Now granted, you know the phone's not gonna ring that first day, but it didn't take too long after that for us to have to start preparing people to deploy. The first to go were our F-16 fighters, led by a very, very dear friend of mine who was the commander of the 22nd Fighter Squadron, who goes by the call sign of Bounce. And Bounce led that squadron of fighters into the madness and mayhem of combat within weeks after the event. And to be there and watch this entire process unfold was absolutely amazing. To watch men and women from all walks of life, whether you were the youngest airman who was just at your first assignment out of basic training or technical school, up to and including fighter pilots who had been part of Desert Shield and Desert Storm and had flown in combat before, and everybody in between, we very quickly became a team of one. And what I meant by a team of one is that everybody was working together, doing their jobs that they were trained to do to prepare us to launch offensive combat operations when and where needed. I watched firefighters, I watched medical technicians, I watched aircraft maintainers, I watched communications experts, I watched uh, security forces people, people who worked in dining facilities, and not just that, but the spouses of the family members who were there to support and feed and take care of all of our folks as we went through this challenge it was just incredible. And even the children, 
the children's responses from a military child perspective was also incredible. Because these children know what we do as military members and we're insanely supportive as well. Now, after that first round of folks went out on the deployment, it didn't take long after that for the rest of the wing to be tasked to deploy. And this was when our A-10 fighters were going to deploy to a base in Afghanistan called Bagram Airfield. And it wasn't just the airplanes that were going. It was our firefighters, it was security forces, it was communications people, it were medical technicians, aircraft maintainers, ammunition troops, and the like, and some members of the leadership team. And I was tapped on the shoulder and had the opportunity to deploy with them. Now, I'm going to be honest. I had never been to a combat operation before. I did not deploy during Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And this was the first major combat engagement since then. And here I was going to be in the thick of it. At the spot in the fight that was doing the most to support the effort at that time. Now, if I was to tell you that I wasn't a little bit apprehensive or a little bit scared, I'd be lying. After all, who wants to voluntarily leave your family and go to a place that you didn't even know where it was on the map prior to September 11th? And go fight an enemy that unlike past wars where it was a uniform on uniform type engagement where a lot of the people that you were going to connect with potentially were folks that were not wearing a uniform and you couldn't tell who they were. It was a pretty incredible experience. I'll never forget arriving there the very first day. Bagram Airfield is kind of up in the mountains in Afghanistan, and it's about 6,000 feet of elevation, surrounded on three sides by mountains. We landed at about 2 o'clock in the morning, pitch dark. When the back doors of our C-130 airplane opened up, we saw total black, total darkness. Because you had to wear night vision goggles when you first got there, because at nighttime, there was a blackout process where no lights could be seen other than those lights from the wingtips of an airplane. The first feeling as you stepped out of the back of the airplane was the absolute insane heat, even though it was dark out. It was like getting hit in the forehead with a shovel. And as you came out the back of the airplane, you were supposed to follow a person that had a green glow stick. And they would take you around the back of the airplane so you wouldn't get into the jet wash of the aircraft because they did a process called engine running offloads. In other words, you came out the back of the airplane, you kind of ran like hell off to the left as you got off the airplane, 
And then the airplane never shut down its engines. And as soon as everybody was off the airplane, the airplane took off and got out of there. Again, a pretty intense thing. But what was pretty even more credible, incredible about it was the next morning when I woke up and I saw this vast expanse of a base covered with tents, uh, plywood huts, uh, temporary aircraft shelters to keep them out of the heat, and more people than you could shake a stick at. From the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, the Marine Corps, from coalition partners from Germany, England, South Korea, Italy, and they all had their camps on the installation. All of them had a different task. All of them had a different job that they were doing. But all of them were fighting together for the same cause. Some of them didn't even speak the same language that we spoke, but for some reason, when you are wearing a uniform and in a combat environment in a organization like you're in, somehow you find the way to communicate. And to be quite honest, it's quite easy to do that. It didn't take long for me to see some of the casualties of a combat operation because we had this incredible field hospital at Bagram where they would take care of people who were injured or even lost their lives in combat. And watching them do their job day in and day out was in and of itself amazing. The camaraderie was unheard of. You know, we would have these little inter-service rivalries, but I will tell you one thing that once we all got on the ground in an active combat zone, none of that mattered at all. We were all warriors. Didn't matter if you were an airman, a soldier, a sailor, a Marine, or from a different country. We were all there fighting for the same thing. And I have to tell you that the people that I came across while I was there were simply amazing. It had nothing to do with race, gender, had nothing to do with the color of your skin, your financial background, whether you came from affluence or poverty. It didn't matter what your religious preferences were. It just didn't matter because we were all there for the same thing. And none of us had family members there with us. So for that amount of time that we were there, they were our brothers, they were our sisters. We had to be able to rely on each other to be successful. And nobody was any better than anybody else. And the other interesting thing to this was, this was a 24 hour a day, seven day a week operation. There were no weekends, there were no days off, there were no holidays. Even to the point, one kind of a lighthearted story was that one day we came into the command post and there was this large group of people in there and they thought that the email systems were down and the telephone systems were down. Communications people kept telling us time and time again, no, there's nothing wrong with them. Well, they said, hey, we're sending email, nobody's responding. We're trying to call, nobody's answering. There's got to be something wrong. 
And amongst all these generals and senior leaders in this room, this young kid in the background raises his hand up. The kid has probably been in the military less than two years and says that he thinks he knows what the problem is. And this young kid, <laughs> it's kind of funny because I know his boss was probably sitting next to him saying, don't say a word, shut up, don't say a word. So the general calls in the young kid and asks him, hey, what, what's the problem? And he said, sir, it's Labor Day. And everybody stopped and looked at this kid and he said, what do you mean it's Labor Day? He said, sir, it's Labor Day back in the States. Most people are not at work. The equipment's working fine. And guess what? The guy was right. A couple hours later, you know, people started answering phones and, and all that business. But the fact of the matter was that you didn't have to be the general to be important. You didn't have to be the, you know, the, the command chief or the sergeant major to be important or relevant. When we're in that combat zone, you're so wrapped up in what you're doing that everybody, no matter how long they'd been in the uniform or how long they'd been on the, on the mission, that they were important. The kid became a rock star, to be quite honest. And I will never forget that time that I spent with those people. But at the same time, although we give a lot of credit to folks in the military for doing what they do, please understand that everybody that wears the uniform is a volunteer. And all the folks that were deployed there after September 11th and up to and including today are still volunteers. Some of the things that rang true to me after that, watching that first tower burn was not what we were going to have to do as military members going forward, but was watching firefighters, police officers, first responders run to the to the fire and into the breach, so to speak. We use in a phrase we use a phrase in the military called we run to the sound of the guns. Well they were running into the fire to try to save lives. Now granted, we lost a lot of lives that day when those two towers were hit and the Pentagon was hit. But I think one of the biggest things that came from that was that for we as a nation came together when we needed to. To face a challenge that was to many insurmountable. And then when it first happened, it was. And still to this day, I remember like it happened yesterday that phone call that sent me back to the command post and to connect with those people at the base that we were stationed at. And to this day, many of those people that I was deployed with and folks that were stationed with us in Germany are still some of the closest friends that we have in our lives simply because of the experiences we shared together. The other part is that I got a new appreciation, especially after coming home from the deployment, 
of just how important people are in our lives and how quickly something can change that could rewrite our histories. I never go to bed mad. I never miss an opportunity to tell my family that I love them. And people that know me know that I'm a hugging machine. And if you're a guy, I'm going to shake your hand and probably give you a man hug. And I'll do the same thing to a young woman in a, in, in a professional manner. Just because sometimes an embrace shows you how much you care about someone. So it is pretty amazing that even 19 years after September 11th, that I hope we as a country don't forget not only what we did, but how we responded to what happened to us. How we, as people, were able to come together as a country and face what at the time was an unformidable foe, something that we had no idea what we were in store for. I hope all of us take a moment to realize that we are a resilient people in our country. And no matter what challenges fall before us, like our ancestors did during the Revolutionary War and Spanish-American War, up to and including the attack on Pearl Harbor, World War One, World War Two, Vietnam, Korea, and of course after September 11th, that there's nothing that we can't overcome if we work together. So hey, stay with me. We're going to come back with some... Hey, welcome back. You know, for about the last half hour, you had to hear my story. You get to hear me talk about my experience, how it impacted me, how it impacted my life. And I know for all of you out there listening, I'm sure that you have your story as well. And what it meant to you on that day. Maybe some of you served in uniform. Maybe some of you didn't. Maybe some of you were first responders, either volunteered uh, not only to go to New York City or to the Pentagon, but you were supporting the effort in some other way. I want to make it totally clear that I explained my story because things like this impact everybody differently. And for us as leaders, it's important for us to leverage our experiences that we've had in life, whether it was serving in the military or, or no matter what you have done in your life, to help you to be able to be mold and shape not only yourselves and your loved ones, but also those who work with you and for you. you know, the experience of September 11th 
forever change the way that I think, the way that I act, the emphasis that I put on things. I like to love on my family a lot more. I like to never miss an opportunity to tell them how important they are to me. I'm a hugging machine kind of thing. But at the same time, some of the lessons I learned was by watching people act and respond under pressure. How people, even when things look totally horrible, can still keep it together and be able to move forward. And to be able to inspire others to move forward as well. You know, September 11th, no matter where you were on that fateful day, is something that, like our grandparents and great-grandparents, and even some of our parents, have shared stories about their lives to us. You know, my father and my mother would tell me stories about, although they were very young, but the depression and things that happened after Pearl Harbor and World War II and up to including Korea and Vietnam, but also some of those positive things like the first person walking on the moon or, you know, the first, you know, female astronaut or female pilot or when women were accepted into military academies from my experience. You know, it's pretty amazing that with all the things and all the strife and all the struggles that are going on currently in our world, that we don't miss the opportunity to unite, to come together. I mean, I watched, I saw a video earlier today about uh, when President Bush visited the World Trade Center and stood on the pile with a bullhorn surrounded by men and women covered in dirt from head to toe that were going through the rubble of the World Trade Center and gave that emotional speech to the bad guys, letting them know that we were coming. Or even when President Bush went out and threw out that first pitch during the World Series at a Yankees game and absolutely just let the world know that we were going to be okay. You know, September 11th had the loss of life for thousands of people. Families had been shaken and destroyed by losing their loved ones. But even amongst all the loss and the death and the carnage, there were some pretty incredible stories, heroism and bravery and flat out leadership that showed that we as a nation could come together even during our darkest times and turn a negative into somewhat of a positive. Pretty troubled by a lot of the things that are going on right now in the world. Whether it's in politics, whether it's in 
social injustice, whether it's the global pandemic and our responses to it. But as I've said before, and I will say again, the only people that can make this thing right are us. If we want to see the solution, we need to provide leadership. Doesn't mean you have to be the president. You don't have to be a senator or a congressman or woman. You don't have to be the CEO of a company. You don't have to be uh, anything other than the best person you can be. To be that leader that the country needs right now, to be that leader that your community needs right now, to be that leader that your family needs right now. This is a time where we need to come together and start to bring together what it means to be a citizen of our country. It breaks my heart, truly, to see the crime, the theft, the destruction taking place amongst folks who want to peacefully protest for social injustice. These are the kind of things that I think we, regardless of race, color, creed, ethnic origin, financial background, whatever, it should not matter right now. That we spend a little bit more time listening than we do talking. Then we pay attention and impact things where we can in a positive way. You know, I hope that being able to share the experiences that I felt on September 11th might spawn a conversation for you to have with maybe some of your loved ones or your coworkers around how those events impacted you. Don't be afraid to have that tough conversation. Don't be afraid to speak your mind when it comes to what's going on in our lives right now. But do it in a way it's going to be productive instead of divisive. I hope our time together this week is, has been somewhat informative, give some light to some things that we can think about together. And I thank you all for giving me the opportunity to share my experience and hopefully in some way, shape or form can help you to understand the way that I think. And you'll see that by listening to things that I talk about on the podcast. I hope it's incredibly obvious to everyone here that what I'm trying to do with this vehicle to be able to bring people together and utilize the good things that we have in our lives to help us all get better. I firmly believe that all boats rise with the tide. You can be in a cruise ship or a kayak. When the tide comes in, everybody goes up. When the tide goes down, everybody goes down. We can all do a better job as being a leader and hope that you'll be able to get some of that from this podcast. So with that, September 11th, it's late in the evening. And before I turn in for the night, I just want to thank you all for tuning in.
and uh, you know, share it if you'd like. And uh, always look forward to your feedback. Don't be afraid to reach me at ken.mcquiston at gmail.com or get me at Chief Ken McHugh on Twitter or just leave a, leave a message uh, at the end of the uh, podcast. But thank you all. Appreciate your time. Hope you have a safe and happy weekend and look forward to seeing you again soon. Bye.